Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. Be on the lookout as well for my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, which is being published in September of 2020. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Amy Edmondson is the Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management at the Harvard Business School. She's been recognized by the Biannual Thinkers 50 Global Ranking of Management Thinkers since 2011, and she teaches and writes on leadership, teams, and organizational learning. She is the author of Teaming, How Organizations Learn, Innovate, and Compete in the Knowledge Economy, Teaming to Innovate, and her newest book, The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation, and Growth. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for having me, Ed. Psychological safety for our listeners is a real key (laughs) component about bravery in the workplace. And that's one of the reasons I loved us connecting. And I hope we'll spend some time talking about navigating or even creating psychological safety in the workplace because it's a real key component for so many people. I couldn't agree more. So I will tell folks that I've read your book, The Fearless Organization, and I loved it. And I loved it starting on you know what I would call page four, but it's really more the numerical or the Roman numeral of page mm-hmm. four mm-hmm. at the beginning, because I want to quote uh, something you wrote on page four that says, yet a 2017 Gallup poll found that only three in 10 employees, three out of 10, strongly agree with the statement that their opinions count at work. What did you do to find that statistic? And, you know, what what does that tell you about bravery in the workplace? Well, it was pretty easy to find. Gallup routinely does these kinds of broad national surveys uh, of workplaces. And, and, And that one just jumped out at me because it's so closely related to what I care about and what I, what I study. And if you think about three in 10 feeling that their voice counts, their opinion counts, their ideas count, it's a staggeringly low number. I I don't want to say I find it surprising because I don't, but I do find it painful and perhaps more importantly, wasteful. Tell us more about that. Well, we live in, you know, a, a knowledge world. Very few workers today are doing things that don't require their brain, their thoughts, their ideas, their ingenuity to, to greater and lesser degrees. So when 75% of them are reporting that some large portion of their ideas and ingenuity and even you know a sense of appreciation at work are not part of that work. We're, we're leaving value out. We're leaving value on the table that could have been integrated into the workplace. It also it, it contributes to a work environment and a work experience that is suboptimal. I mean, when you're coming to work each morning and thinking, it doesn't really matter, people don't aren't interested in what I have to say, or my 
thoughts don't count here. That is not the description of a workplace where you're engaged, where you're committed, you know, where you're really willing and able to give it your all. It's not, and it is highly prevalent in today's work society, both of my own experiences and working for a multiple number of organizations across the years. And then today as being a leadership coach, working with clients in almost every industry at almost every level, uh, I was not surprised either that three out of 10 <laughs> people uh, you know, feel the way that they feel. So before we get started and before we get any deeper, Amy, I'd love for folks to hear a little bit about your background. You used an important word a moment ago about caring and that this topic you really care about. So could you sh- just share with everybody a little bit about your background and maybe uh, tell us a little bit about how you moved into the direction of teams and psychological safety? Sure. So I, you know, long ago, maybe, maybe 25 or, or, or more years ago, I had a job working for a consulting company that really was in the organizational development space. And I just became passionately interested in what constitutes a good workplace. And, and a good workplace is one clearly where people want to be there. They're excited about working with their, their teams to, you know, contribute in some small or large way to to customers' needs. Um, so part of that is for the for the experience. I really care about the experience of the employee. I figure most of us spend most of our waking hours at work, so it ought to be a place where we feel we can be ourselves, we can contribute, and we're valued by our colleagues. That to me became a worthy aspiration, right? A, a worthy thing to spend one's life trying to influence in some in some small way and that that experience led me and i was with my colleagues in and out of large companies around the us and to a lesser extent in other countries and interviewing many many people uh, people on the shop floor people in executive suites and and trying to get a little bit of a sense of both the prevalence of really good workplaces, but more importantly, what were the factors that contributed to them? And I, I hit a certain point where I realized I didn't have the educational background or the research tools to further these questions very much. So I decided to apply to a PhD program in organizational behavior and and you know, to learn how to do research and, and learn how to be a better thinker, if you will. And and so that's how I got into, really after 10 years in the workforce, first as an engineer and then in this in this consulting company, I found myself back in school at, you know, at the age of, of 31, which was a little bit of a shock to the system. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd been working hard all those years, but it's yeah. still different to have tests and courses and lectures and we put and, those behind in our that. 20s yeah exactly exactly but i you know it was a little shock to the system as i said but over time i i found my i found my voice i found my groove i i began to realize very slowly that this was exactly where i was meant to be that to be in a in a job if you will a job that requires you to spend a great deal of time alone doing analysis, doing writing, um, you know, at a keyboard, door closed. And, but that's not it, right? That's not the whole job. The other half of the job is to is to come out and be in front of the room and try to influence whether those are young students or 
seasoned executives try to influence how they think and and see the you know see what works and what doesn't work in in various ways of trying to explain or or draw people along so that that mix of on stage but then behind closed doors to me was the perfect mix i couldn't do either one of those two things Mm-hmm. all the time. I, I I really need that blend. Yeah, I mean, uh, most people know that they only have so much energy that they can devote mm. to the world. Each of our energy levels vary. And uh, it sounds like you were feeling or experiencing, you know, your energy levels that came to uh, balancing, you know, these multiple uh, activities. Yes, and I, I'm energized by both of them. And yeah. the the blend, the mix is is much better for me, not necessarily for anyone, than doing either one alone. Right, right. Well, thank you for that background. And tell us a little bit now, Amy, about you know what drew you a little bit, and I'm not trying to characterize it as you know a world of psychological safety, but for purposes of our listeners, uh, the goal is bravery in the workplace. Talk to us a little bit about what psychological safety is, you know, maybe how you define it, and what you know what people might be experiencing in the workplace that they can relate to. Absolutely. So I, I should say when I, I, I wanted to go, as I said, and understand better about what makes a good workplace and what allows people to really, you know, contribute and, and to feel engaged and do great work. And it did seem to me that more and more of the work in the modern era is done in teams or or in Mm-hmm. you know, in, in groups of various kinds. And sometimes those teams are, are stable and well-composed, and sometimes those teams are quite on the fly and emergent and people coming together, say, in a busy emergency room in a hospital. But the the work is fundamentally quite interdependent and quite interpersonal. I mean, we need to talk to each other. We need to understand each other. We need to coordinate. We need to collaborate. And And so I wanted to study how that how that works. And I stumbled into psychological safety quite by accident. Uh, my, my first big study in graduate school was a study of teens in the hospital, in the patient care setting, and medical errors. And so I, I, I had the good fortune to join a team of physicians and nurses who were looking at this topic of the frequency of medical errors. And this was, you know, back in about 1991. So it was a very hot and new topic no one had really studied this before. And mm-hmm. my little part of this larger study was simply to measure the teamwork properties of different patient care teams. And with any luck, I was going to be able to make the following claim that better teams made fewer mistakes, which you know, there's lots of reasons to assume that would be the case. Sure, sure. It makes sense, right? Once you hear that. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it works in aviation. It works in cockpit crews. Right. So it it ought to work in healthcare because it's a highly interdependent task. And the, the degree to which we work well together ought to predict the frequency of, you know, consequential errors. And I still believe that to be the case, by the way, but the data didn't cooperate <laughs> uh, because the data when I finally got them, you know, I, I was I got the team data on my own with a survey but the medical professionals were getting the error rates by asking for self-report and visiting the different teams on a regular basis to kind of find out what was happening. And everybody had been promised confidentiality and all that. But when I finally got the 
dependent variable of the error data and then my team survey data and put them all together. At first, I was really excited because I saw a significant correlation. And then I realized, oh, no, it's in the wrong direction. In other words, the data seemed to be saying that better teams, according to a long validated survey instrument, had not fewer, but more errors associated with them. Wow. Which, which, wow, is right. It's like, this, you know, this can't be right. And, but, well, I don't know, maybe good teams are sloppy. No, 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 that can't, you know, I, I was playing with it every which way, you know, for a couple of hours. And then I suddenly thought, wait a minute, maybe, maybe they don't make more mistakes. Maybe they're more willing to report them, right? After all, think about how those data were collected. They were collected by kind of important people in white coats coming to ask you, what do you know about? And and it suddenly seemed very reasonable to me that there could be, didn't you know, I didn't have any proof yet, but that there could be very real differences across teams in people's perceived ability to speak up with something as threatening as a mistake. And, and, and that, what I just said, is the very essence of psychological safety. Psychological safety is defined as a belief that I will not be punished or humiliated or made to feel less good about myself if I speak up with a mistake, an idea, a question, a concern. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, there are differences in interpersonal climate across work groups. And maybe that's true here as well in the hospital. And maybe that difference is, in fact, palpable, measurable, and predictive of a, an important learning behavior like speaking up about errors. So it wasn't so much the team's volume of errors, but their comfort in reporting them. That's right. And, and I, you know, your thoughtful listeners will immediately recognize that I can't know that for sure. From that mm-hmm, study, mm-hmm. right? Because we, we, in fact, what I was saying was, guess what? We don't have access to the objective error rate. What we have is errors filtered through willingness to report. And now willingness to report could have been absolutely uniform across groups, or it could have been substantially variable. And I couldn't know from that study which was which, but I had a super strong hypothesis. And, and I ultimately was able to hire a research assistant who didn't, you know, who was in, in research terms blind to the previously collected data. And he was able to um, report more sociologically very real climate differences across these groups, which happened to be perfectly correlated with the data I had. Right. So in other words, someone coming in fresh with no priors and not even any sense of what I was after uh, was was able to kind of go, wow, these are really different groups. Well, what, say more. What's that? What do you mean different? Well, you know, in some they say things like, you know, if you make a mistake around here, it's held against you. You get put on trial. In others, they say things like, well, of course, you'll speak up because, you know, the 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 drugs we use here are very toxic. So it's really important to, you know, catch it quickly. Right. So completely different universes of social perception. You know, the reality of their workplaces are, are, you know, the the concrete reality are very similar, but the social reality is very, very different. And later I called that psychological safety. Well, fantastic. And there are so many ways that we could continue to talk about this particular (laughs) 
topic because oftentimes, you know, what I think I experience in the workplace, I'm not sure if others do or I assume others do. But until we talk about it and explore that a little bit further, you know, we may never know. We're going to pause in our conversation with Amy Edmondson, the author of The Fearless Organization, and join us next week when she continues to talk about the importance of bravery in the workplace, specifically about three areas, powerful questions, humble listening, and extreme candor. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also welcome you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on CastBox, Overcast, Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google, Spotify, Pandora. We are everywhere. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.